0: On July 12, 2008, on the traffic-congested streets of Jakarta, police make a gruesome discovery. A man's body, hastily cut into seven pieces and by some accounts, skewered by a crowbar, is found wrapped in plastic and stuffed into a bag dumped at the side of the road. The autopsy would later reveal the victim's identity, a 40-year-old businessman by the name of Harry Santoso. But what police initially believed to be a one-off crime of passion Soon turns into one of the most fascinating cases in Indonesia's history, filled with sex, religion, a homemade graveyard, and finally the country's most infamous serial killer. Very idam Henian Seya, better known as Rien. Welcome to Memories of Murder. I'm your host, Agri Bunyai. It's not a secret that society has a fascination with serial killers. From Jack the Ripper to John Wayne Gacy, periodically throughout history, there have been cases that have managed to capture public attention and push celebrity status on those who commit them. And it's no different here in Asia. There are countless murders that have shocked and enthralled enough to be adapted into movies and novels. But what makes Asia a little different is the fact that in some of these countries there are no laws prohibiting convicted killers from profiting from their crimes. Such is the case in Indonesia. The serial killer known as Rian was given the moniker The Singing Serial Killer because he did just that. He released an autobiography and even a pop album, the profits of which he was allowed to keep. But most serial killers don't start out with the intention of becoming a celebrity, although many do crave attention and acknowledgement. Rian, the subject of this episode, is no different. It's April 2007. 27-year-old Rian is living at his parents' home in Jombong, 500 kilometers southeast of Jakarta. His friend, Guntur Pramono, has come to stay for the night. They talk and watch TV as young boys do and as it gets late Rian falls asleep. But then sometime after 1 a.m. Rianne is awakened by Guntur who needs to use the bathroom. It's dark and late and the toilet is located outside of the main building of the home so Rianne accompanies him to the bathroom. Now apparently Guntur takes quite a long time in the toilet and while he waits Rianne drifts off to sleep. When he awakes he's struck by an uncontrollable urge to kill Gunther. He grabs a metal gardening hoe, and when Gunther finally exits the toilet, without provocation, Rian mercilessly beats him to death. Faced with the task of disposing of the body, Rian is unsure what he's supposed to do. This is his first murder. He looks to his back garden. It's a large space covered with trees and dirt, and he decides that he's gonna bury the body there. And once it's done, Rian goes back to sleep. Now, this first act of murder could perhaps have been attributed to all manner of things, ideally a moment of madness that he would soon come to regret. But if you're thinking he was scared of being caught for what he'd done, his next move will shock you. Less than a day after killing Gunto, Rian kills again. For reasons that we do not know, Rian then murders Augustinus Setiawan in a fit of blind rage, and once again buries the victim in his back garden, right next to Guntor. This garden graveyard would soon become the final resting place of eight more victims. So, who was Rian? Was he a psychopath? A sociopath? To understand more about the singing serial killer, we need to look back at his youth, a childhood that was filled with conflict. Rian grew up in a small village in Jombong. It was a rural area and most of the residents survived there off of agriculture. As a boy, Rian felt that he didn't fit in and yearned for the excitement and bustle of the big city. It didn't help that Rian was homosexual. He had known from a young age that he was different from the other boys and this had led him to suffer from mood swings and violent outbursts in his younger years. However, while Indonesia is a Muslim country, it is fairly moderate in its views. Sexuality isn't openly discussed in traditional Indonesian society especially small villages like Jombong, Because of this, while Rian had to keep his secret to himself, he wasn't really bullied or treated badly because of his sexual orientation. But parallel to his internal conflict, Rian claims that his home life was also difficult. He maintains that his parents would carry out affairs openly and inside the house. Rian even supposedly walked in on his mother having sex with one of her lovers. And to make the situation even worse, this alleged tryst took place between his mother and a middle-aged man that his sister had been forced into marrying. On top of all of this, he was not really very close to his family. Even his father says that he only spoke to him when it was necessary. Rian's life would change dramatically once he entered high school. He began to come out of his shell. He made a lot of friends and was seen as popular. Although most of his group were girls, Rianne was never teased or bullied by the boys at his school for being feminine. His teachers remember him fondly, saying he was hard-working and well-mannered. He received excellent grades at school, and he had even planned to go to medical school. Unfortunately, because he came from a poor background, Rian was unable to afford the tuition for college, so he turned to religion. But by embracing religion, with all of its codes and rules, Rian was once again thrown into conflict. He was a homosexual man following Islam and learning to become a cleric, no less. Should his sexuality be known... It could have ruined his future. Despite this, Rian becomes increasingly religious. He's actually seen as being even more strict than most people when it came to the teachings of Islam. And because of his dedication, he soon began getting very close to his religious studies teacher. Now, whether there was any kind of romantic relationship between these two, it's impossible to say for sure. Obviously, the teacher denies it. And of course he should. A religious cleric in a homosexual relationship with a serial killer probably wouldn't look very good for him. But Rian has also kept quiet about it. Either way, they were very close, and Rian probably had some kind of feelings for this cleric, and that's why, after seven years of studying together, when the cleric decided to marry a woman of his own choosing, Rian was furious. He confronted the cleric, they fought, and just a few months later, Rian would claim his first victim. It's impossible to say whether this was the catalyst that would lead to his murder spree, but it's likely that it had something to do with it. At some point between leaving the cleric and being caught by the police, it's claimed that Rian became a male model. There's not much evidence to support this, but if this is in fact true, what's interesting is it goes a long way into showing us Rian's state of mind. Rian had been preparing himself to become a cleric, someone that's looked highly upon and well-respected by the community. Once that avenue seemed to have closed off to him, he needed another way to gain attention and to be recognised. And he did this by becoming a model. These two distinctly different paths could act as a window into Rian's state of mind. On the one hand, he's a good religious Muslim, someone that his parents can be proud of. But on the other hand, he's a sexual creature, wanting to be acknowledged as handsome and attractive. The end result is the same, though. He gets attention. And so, after being rejected by his teacher and, to some extent, by religion, Rian begins to embrace his sexuality. He becomes more open about being homosexual and begins having boyfriends. I mentioned before that Indonesia is a relatively moderate Islamic society. It's also worth mentioning that homosexuality itself is not illegal, but condemnation of homosexuality has been voiced by many religious leaders and the traditional view is that homosexuality is a sin. These two incompatible sides of Rianne's personality were most likely at odds, which resulted in frustration, which then turned to anger, and ultimately murder. During his murder spree, Rianne would go on to kill a total of 11 people. He claims that he only knew five of them personally. The rest of them he met in bars and nightclubs. He'd take them back to his parents' home and maintains that he only killed people when they made advances on him. You see, Rian didn't like to be perceived as promiscuous. One view that Indonesian society has on gay men is that they're needy and jealous and sex-crazed. Rian didn't want to be seen like that. So when these men made a move on him, he killed them. Almost all of his victims were homosexual men. The only exception was that of Nenik Kristanti and her daughter Sylvie. This is perhaps the most shocking of his crimes, you see. The daughter, Sylvie, was only three years old. Rianne and Nanik became friends when he was teaching aerobics at a local fitness centre. They quickly became close and spent a lot of time together. One day, when Nanik and her daughter were visiting Rianne's home, she found nude pictures of him on his phone. Presumably, she'd been attracted to him. She saw him as handsome and he came across as kind. But this shocking discovery led her to confront Rianne. She starts shouting at him, saying that the rumours that he's gay must be true if he's got all these pictures on his phone and that she would never sleep with him. This angered Rianne and, infuriated, he picks up a stone and bludgeons her to death. After he's killed Nanik, all he could hear were the sounds of Sylvie crying. She won't stop, panicked, and knowing that he needs to get rid of the witness, he then beats the three-year-old girl to death too and buries both of them in his makeshift garden cemetery. These are the only two women that he kills. In interviews about it, Rian does look visibly shaken by their murders, claiming that he regrets what he did because he loves small children. But as we'll find out later, Rian is a master manipulator, an expert at pretending to feel remorse. So maybe none of that is true. By July 2008, Rian has killed 10 people and is acting without a care in the world. He's moved out of his parents' place and is fulfilling his dream of living in the city, Jakarta. He shares an apartment with his new boyfriend, Novel Andreas, and for the time being, the murders have stopped. He then arranges a meeting with his friend of 15 years, Harry Santoso, and invites him back to the apartment. They talk for a while, and Rian pulls out some pictures of his boyfriend Novel, Upon seeing the pictures, Harry is aroused. He asks Rianne if he can sleep with Novelle, Filled with an immense sense of jealousy and betrayal that his friend would ask him such a thing, they begin to fight. At some point, Rianne falls and he grabs a nearby knife. He then jumps on Harry and repeatedly stabs him until Harry stops resisting. He then proceeds to drag the body to the bathroom and spends less than an hour dismembering the corpse but Rian doesn't have immediate access to his usual dumping spot at his parents' home. Perhaps fueled by a false sense of invincibility, Rian decides that he'll just dump the body on the side of the street and get back on with his life. After all, he's already killed ten people and there's been no suspicion. Why would this be any different? But this complacency would prove to be his undoing. This isn't rural Jombong, this was Jakarta. Once police discovered the body, it's not long before they link that murder to Rian. You see, Rian hadn't known, or perhaps he didn't care, but Harry's car was still parked at Rian's apartment building. Plus, there was CCTV footage of Harry's movements. To make matters worse for Rian, he'd got greedy. He used Harry's credit card to withdraw money from a nearby bank, and it didn't take long for police to put two and two together and arrest Rian. Initially, Rian doesn't deny the murder and, thinking it's a crime of passion, it looks to be an open and shut case for police. But four days following his arrest, Rian suggests that there may have been more victims. This may seem odd, but this is very much in line with Rian's need for acknowledgement. He wanted people to know what he'd done. He wanted that approval. In subsequent interviews, Rian claims that he was concerned that he might kill again. But I find it hard to believe that he admitted to the killings because he wanted someone to stop him. After all, he'd already been caught. Due to the confession, police make a search of Rianne's family home. There they find more evidence. First, bone fragments in his bedroom. Then, a blood-soaked hammer. And then finally, of course, his homemade graveyard. The first search reveals four bodies. But soon after, the search intensifies and even locals help digging up the garden. the search only ends once ten bodies have been found. What began as a one-off murder of little interest soon became national headlines. Indonesia was in shock that a handsome, well-mannered, good Muslim boy could turn out to be such a monster. Most shaken of all were the locals in Jombong that had failed to notice anything amiss in their quiet little village. Not long after his capture, is tried and found guilty of the murder of Henry Santoso and he's sentenced to death, but as the judge reads out the sentence, Rian can be seen smiling. And Rian's story doesn't end there. In fact, he has since become somewhat of a celebrity, and given that he doesn't shy away from attention, we can learn a lot about the mind of the singing serial killer. Psychiatrists have diagnosed Rian with antisocial personality disorder and claim that he's adept in mimicking emotions without actually feeling them. This is why we should have cause to doubt his displays of remorse at killing three-year-old Sylvie. Immediately after his arrest, he reverted to the side of his personality that considered himself to be a strict Muslim. He began wearing Muslim clerical attire in order to appear more likeable, more relatable. This is partly why the media was so smitten with him at first. He was an anomaly to their Islamic society. Rian then tried to appeal his death sentence. His lawyers would claim that he was suffering from insanity, but the courts threw out that appeal, the argument being that if someone kills and disposes of 11 people, they know exactly what they're doing. Since his failed appeal, Rihanna's changed personalities once again. He now chooses to portray himself as the victim in all of this. He insinuates that the murders were not his fault. He says things like, They groped me. My homosexuality was used as a means to feed their lust. My victims made me feel cheap. I accidentally killed them. It's unlikely a psychopath would have these kinds of feelings and even less likely that a remorseful killer would place the blame on his victims. He's playing a role, the victims of other people's actions. Essentially, they made him so angry that he had to act out. But this is nothing more than a fantasy made up by Rian for his own needs. After all, how could the same scenario happen 11 times? But there is something more sinister, more manipulative to Rian. When Rian was arrested... So was his boyfriend, Novell. In the end, Novell was sentenced to just 10 months, and that was for his involvement in spending the money that was stolen from Harry Sentoso. Rian claims he still loves Novell and is happy that he's free, but in interviews he states that he's happy that the police believed him that Novell wasn't involved. Believed him, so he could have been there. Regardless of what the truth is, it seems obvious to me that Rian is toying with us here. He doesn't care about Novell, and if he did, why would he let on that Novell could possibly know more than he's letting on? Finally, let's look at the Rian that seeks attention. From Muslim cleric to male model, he's always craved the limelight. And once he was caught for murder, he had the perfect stage to shine. And he shined quite brightly. After the media attention had died down, and the other inmates had gotten used to being locked up with a celebrity, Rianne wrote an autobiography. It's called Confessions, the Untold Story of Rianne. And in the book, he talks about why he did the murders, how he did the murders, but just to add a little shock value, he also includes hand-drawn maps of where he buried his victims. Then, in another twist, Rianne reportedly married while he was in prison, and to a female inmate that he met while he was in custody. He claims that it was to make his mother happy, to fulfil her dream of having her son marry a woman but the attention it brought was certainly not unwanted. After the book was released, Rian got started on a pop music album cheekily entitled My Last Performance. Although it's unclear how well the album did commercially, what's interesting about these projects is that Rian was allowed to keep all of the profits, essentially meaning that he profited from his murders. That money did, however, go to his mother. Today, his parents seem to have forgiven him for what he did, or at least they believe that he's mentally ill although what parent wouldn't want to believe that when the alternative is that your child is evil? As of 2018, Rian is currently waiting execution at Kasambi Penitentiary in Cerebon He's also planning on appealing for a presidential pardon. This has been Memories of Murder, an Asian true crime podcast. If you liked what you heard, please do subscribe via Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you download your podcasts from. And also check out the social media feeds for Memories of Murder for more content. That's it for now. Thank you for listening. Good night.